If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to HuffPost's brand new weekly podcast, Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Presented by me, Brogan Driscoll. And me, Rachel Moss. This podcast is a frank, honest conversation about women's bodies, health and private lives. We cover underreported issues and tackle the topics that you're too squeamish to talk to your mates about. This week, we're going to be talking about porn, specifically how it impacts our sex lives and relationships. And later, we'll be joined by Sangeeta Pillai, a sex educator and founder of Network Soul Sutras, which is all about South Asian female power and sexuality. So to kick things off and make us both feel super uncomfortable, <laughs> I thought we should start by talking about our own introductions to porn. Uh. Um, I know, sorry, <laughs> but I feel like we've got to really, you know... Go on. Ourselves kind of, exactly, we've got to put ourselves yeah. in these situations. Um, so I'll go first because mm-hmm. I know it's a bit of a tough ask. Um, my first experience of porn was very early on, like weirdly early on. Me and my um, next door neighbour, we used to um, play around each other's houses a lot. And we for some, somehow discovered that in my mum and dad's bedroom... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's, that's enough already. So no I know. No, it's so weird, isn't it? It's so weird. But um, my mum, there's no way they're going to listen to this, so it's fine. Um, they had this coffee table book that was like from the 70s. Apparently, they got given it as a wedding present. And I'm a bit like, yeah, sure. I don't know if that's true. And it was called The Joy of Sex. And I think it's like quite a book. Like, I think it's got a reputation. Um, and it was basically a massive book, especially for like, I don't know, like a nine-year-old seeing it for the first time. Um, and it was all about... Um, it was kind of uh, set up, like the chapters were like menus. So it was like, had like Menus? It was like a menu. So it had like starters for foreplay and then it had like the main course bit and then it had like dessert. Did it have like pictures? Was it like Cosmo style? It had massive pictures. Um, I'm trying to think in my head whether they were illustrations or pictures. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) me and my next door neighbour, who I won't name, but like when we did, when we knew people were downstairs, just like creep in and like find it and look at it. I don't. I literally wow. don't know why I told you that, but anyway, there we go. Um, so that was my first experience of Hilarious. erotica. Also, that book does not sound sexy. Like <laughs> it just so doesn't. Um, okay, so I guess I now have to go. I feel like yours is really innocent and cute, but my first experience of porn was actually a little bit um, not as jolly. The first time I saw anything pornographic at all was actually on the phone of somebody that I was dating. I was in my late teens. Obviously, something had been left open that I wasn't meant to see and Mm. borrowed the phone to look up something and bam, you know, we didn't expect to see that. And, um, you know, it it was quite a, like, baptism of fire introduction because as well, like, we don't talk about porn 
So at the time, I was so confused about like, what am I meant to be feeling about this? Like, do I laugh it off? Am I meant to be angry? Am I meant to be upset? Am I meant to be turned mm. on? I don't know. It was just so confusing. <laughs> so also, clear. because it's such a taboo, like I didn't tell anyone about it. Am I the first person you've told? You are actually. I've, uh, <laughs> I've told... <laughs> I've told my oh, you've story kept it inside to you. for so long. I know, isn't it crazy? But the only time I think actually I might have mentioned it to a couple of mates since, and this is like the only other discussion I've ever had with another human being about porn was when a bunch of my girl mates, years and years and years later, probably were about like twenty-five, and we were all pissed. And then somebody brought up porn. Suddenly you realise that all your friends who you've maybe known for, you know, 10, 15 years have all got actually quite divisive opinions about porn. Like among Mm. this group of women, there was somebody who loved it, somebody who hated it, somebody who said, if you listen to porn or watch porn in a relationship, you're cheating on your partner. And I was just kind of like there watching this crazy ping pong battle of opinions happen. I just didn't expect it at all. And then, of course, we sobered up and never spoke about it ever again (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say it's so interesting that you had those conversations with drunk when you were drunk sorry I'm sure a lot of people will relate to that actually that boldness that comes out after you've had some wine unfortunately we haven't had any wine because it's still quite early in the afternoon um I had a strong coffee that's as as bold as it's getting (laughs) (laughs) so um I guess the reason that we wanted to talk about porn now um is that it's as good a time as any, obviously. Um, it's something that we haven't really ever spoken about before with friends. So why not have the first conversation we have broadcast? You know, we were talking about how lockdown brings quite an interesting dimension to pornography just because obviously lots of people are spending this period on their own people who would normally be dating or uh, able to like go out and hook up with people so there's kind of a need there to be satiated mm-hmm. um yeah. but also then there are people who are living in close proximity with family partners friends um and are they still consuming as much porn as they used to are they having to hide it are they having to suddenly be open about it um there's a lot to get into Yeah, I'm a fan of porn. We're all really sexual creatures and watching porn is certainly a part of our society now. I think I feel nervous speaking about it publicly as I've always sort of thought that porn is a really personal thing. It's a place where you can explore your various themes of your sexual desires without really being judged or embarrassed. I find that my own tastes tend to vary quite a bit depending on my mood or where I am in my life at the time. I think it's really great that porn has become far more accessible these days. It's not like it used to be. No need to go to sex stores or buy plastic coated magazines. I think the rise of internet porn has made things so much easier. I can access pretty much anything from my smartphone from the comfort of my own bed and privacy in my own room. So the first time I really started delving into what porn is has been in the last couple of years. I run an organisation called Sisters um, whilst putting together work around healthy relationships and what those relationships are influenced by. We found that many of the young people we worked with were influenced by porn, except the porn was very derogatory and um, treated females really badly. And so I started really delving into what porn was and what is ethical porn. I think it's really important to understand what porn is in the commercial mainstream sense and what ethical porn is and people really need to understand that. To 
Today, we're joined by Sangeeta Palai, a sex educator and founder of Network Soul Sutras, which is all about South Asian female power and sexuality. She's also a host of award-winning Masala podcast and has been a writer for over 20 years. So hi, Sangeeta. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We're super, super excited to have you here. And I see you have brought a prop with you. What what is that? I've got my little favourite stress buster, which is, as you can see, Rachel, a very large bottom with a thong in in it. And you squeeze the bottom like so. Um, And it's a great stress busting tool. And I thought it was appropriate for our podcast today. It's it's very appropriate and hilarious. I love it. I think every guest should bring a prop and it should probably always be a stress-busting bum. Um, Maybe this could be the prop that belongs to your show. Oh, I would love that. be your thing. We think we are an emoji. I think that's the kind of stress buster that you can only have in a working from home situation. Imagine if you went into the office and like someone had that on their desk. Cool, HR. Very serious corporate meeting. Yeah. I like it. I'm all for it. Um, so, Sankita, before you joined us, we were sharing our first introductions to porn and the first time we saw pornographic material um brogan's was ridiculous mine was slightly more traumatic but what was your introduction to porn like i think i was about maybe 13 and i lived in india so i grew up in india spent most of my life there Mm -hmm. and i my friends and i went to a video store because that's what you did then um and we hired this video and i remember it was the first time i'd seen sex and i was horrified and it yeah. was some really <laughs> weird stuff, I think, because the guy in the film had a lot of hair all over his body. He was like a very large, hairy beast. <laughs> and I remember thinking, this is really weird. This can't be fun. And this was my first kind of experience. You're like, does porn. everyone look like that? Like, <laughs> have Is there something I don't know? All men look like this under their clothes. As a sex educator, you've developed a super positive attitude to sex over the years. And I wondered whether porn had kind of fed into that. I mean, what's your consumption of porn now? Um, It's very different to how I was when I was growing up. So I grew up in India in a very traditional Indian family. And most Asian girls, particularly the ones that were kind of me and of my generation, sex wasn't for us. There was sex was for men. We, all we did was kind of be prepared to get married. And Mm -hmm. when you got married, sex was something you put up with. You never had an active kind of role in it. Um, You never talked about it. Um, Even our bodies, sex was something that was done to us, not something Mm. we did actively. Mm. Um, And there's also the sense of somehow in traditional South Asian culture that you guard your body. Your body is this precious kind of pure thing that you guard until the time that you get married to somebody and then they get your body. So there's no real agency. So Mm -hmm. then if you look at those kind of ideas, then things like masturbation or porn are very far away from your experience. Mm. So I think I didn't look at porn or even talk about masturbation with my friends until I was much, much older. None of us did it. It wasn't even a thing. Mm. So if you sort of Think of the shame attached to anything sexual, the shame attached to the female body in any sexual sense. You know, that makes a lot of this very, very difficult for South Asian women. Yeah. Was there like a U-turn moment where you, when you realised that 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 you didn't need to internalise that shame? Yeah, absolutely. For me, it was a much later experience, I think, sort of even mid-30s when I was single and I started dating um, I'd come out of a long long relationship 
starting to sort of meet people and have sex with them was this huge revolution for me. And I was like, oh my God, this is good. An orgasm. <laughs> this is why people amazing. do it. <laughs> this is why people do it. And it's, uh, you know, it's puts this like glow on my skin and this kind of little swing to my hips when I walk. Mm -hmm. And that's what yeah. good sex does. And it was like this big aha moment for me to think, but why was there so much kind of taboo attached to this when it's actually so good for you? So that framing of sex as something shameful to this realization for me personally, that this can be amazing and liberating and fun and it just feels good and does good to us as women uh, was a huge, huge moment for me, I think, in my own journey, which then led me to do the work that I do with other women and in unpacking this taboo and getting us to talk about this stuff. So, yeah, mm. it was a massive, massive change for me. Here's one woman who got in touch and she really spoke to the experience of, um, I guess, consuming porn as a South Asian woman. I think porn can be informative but damaging at the same time. When I was growing up, you didn't really talk about sex with your female friends. So the only way to find out more about it was through porn. So you'd find out about what you liked, what you didn't. Um, and in a sense, that was quite liberating. But when you grow up, you um, tend to be a little bit disillusioned and it could be quite damaging, um, especially for people of color because born with people of colour is seen as a fetish rather than the norm. Um, so you don't really see normal, you know, it's hard enough to see normal body types, um, but you don't really see normal pe uh, body types for people of colour. Um, and you just tend to um, be slightly disillusioned by that. I wondered whether we could kind of talk about some of the themes around how people of colour are portrayed within porn and how... You know, from that testimonial, we heard how the lady feels quite kind of alienated in that space. So it didn't feel that, you know, porn was necessarily for her. There's a lot of stereotyping in porn, I think, whether that's kind of white Caucasian bodies. There is a lot of racial stereotyping, I think. Even the way porn is categorized, whether it's, I don't know, Eastern women or submission or, you know, South mm. Asian, all of that. So I think the issue is that already as brown or black women, we're already occupying really small spaces. And then when you get into porn, those boxes become smaller where, particularly if you're South Asian, you're meant to be the submissive good wife material that we're trained all our lives to be. And then in porn, you get into those smaller boxes. And if you look at categories within porn hubs or, you know, portals, they are Asian or they are black or they are certain kind of, and it, it is just, those are not the people we are. It doesn't capture who we are. And it is a particular kind of fetishization, I think, which is not healthy. The other thing is I have yet to see a South Asian couple on porn, mm. on any porn film that looks anything like my experience or anywhere that I recognize myself. So I think that's a huge problem with porn. Mm. While porn in itself is fine and I, you know, I'm a believer in it and I think it is good for us. It shows us what we want to, ex you know, experiment with, within a relationship or with ourselves. But there are lots of issues with it. Yeah. This being one of them, I think this racial stereotyping of us and our experiences. So yeah. I absolutely hear what, what, what she's saying. And I think like you touched on there, the visual representation of people as well, just in terms of like the porn body 
whatever race you are, it seems like there's sort of an acceptable body type in porn that everyone adheres to. And that's for men and for women. Like we've read loads of reports, a load of studies around body image for young girls and arising people thinking they need labiaplasty or, you know, design a vagina surgery and all these things. Is that something that you've come across as well? Do you think porn does play a part in that. Massively. If you think about it, the way we perceive a beautiful body now is essentially a porn body. We have hairless vulvas. That's the normal. Yeah. Um, I remember dating this much younger guy a couple of years ago. He'd never seen a vulva with hair. He was really shocked. And thinking about it, a lot of my younger friends, so I'm in my kind of late 40s, So my sexual experiences are different to people in their 20s or 30s. And I've had conversations with young South Asian women where they've said, we'd never in a million years sleep with somebody with hair. To me, it's really bizarre that what is perfectly natural, pubic hair, is there for a reason. We were born that way. It's what separates grown women from younger girls, right? Mm -hmm. It's coming of age and it's protective and it's all of those things. But now pubic hair is a fetish. I mean, how messed up is that? And that comes from porn, I think, because we've normalized what is not normal. It's just bizarre. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of my kind of pet peeves, I think, against porn. A lot of the kind of uh, reasons people do labioplasty is because they want a porn vulva. But again, Mm. that's not, I mean, who says that's beautiful? Porn does. Like it's like a uniform vulva. And we know that, you know, vulvas are all different. And that's kind of weird. We're only being shown one Shown one particular type. And I think Mm. that's the point. And I think that's the problematic point where we're only being shown one type of able-bodied, large-breasted, large-penised, if that's even a word, (laughs) body. (laughs) (laughs) And... Everything else, which is what 99% of the human race, doesn't fit to that because porn actors are actors. They're performing. They look a certain way. They spend a lot of money and time to look like that. That's their Mm. job. We don't do that. We don't look like that. And I read, again, a lot of reports which say that a lot of young people, because now porn is accessible from our phones and we watch, it's so easy to consume, right? But if you grow up with that being the... Mm dominant narrative of how sex looks like, how our Mm. bodies look like, how women look like. And then, you know, when we have real sex, it doesn't measure up. Of course it's not going to. That's a film. This is real real life, you know. Yeah. Um, I think like our, we were saying earlier, like our introductions to porn were so shaky. But so I'm in my late 20s, Brogan's in her early 30s. So we're just about within the generation who didn't grow up with smartphones. I kind of got it towards the end of my school career. And I think, Mm. thank God for that. Because now, as you say, kids have got it all the time. And I don't know whether like the sex ed in schools has caught up. I've got a few friends who are teachers and I think some of them have uh, spoken to students about porn, but some of them haven't. And you just think, what are kids growing up with now? Like if we're confused about it, what must they be thinking about it? And I think it's particularly damaging to young women because I saw this uh, really interesting show. I think it was on Channel 4 or something about the effect that a lot of consumption of porn has on younger women. Younger women think that is normal, like a guy grabbing your hair and forcing you to go down on him is normal sexual behavior. Violence becomes normalized. And I think those are the issues. And I think if we are to carry on watching porn, we must find a way to make it more equal and kind of Mm. educate people in terms of what is okay and what is not. Mm. I think I think that's a really important thing to think about. 
I know that there are a lot of like there, there are some feminist porn sites like Erica Lust. Her work comes up a lot in terms of ethical porn. But I mean, a question for you, Sangeeta, like how do we know what is okay? Do you have any recommendations? Is there are there any sites or organisations that you kind of speak to your network about? I think Erica Lust, as you mentioned, absolutely. I think it's important to see kind of where it comes from. So if, if we can afford ethical porn, we must try and do that where you know that the actors have been paid and the people that have created are actually being paid for the content, which I believe most of the what they call the free tube channels don't necessarily do. Mm. So Erica Lust, absolutely. Someone else I know is called Anna Richards. So she's got a network called Frolic Me. She's got a company. Mm. And again, her whole ethos is about feminist porn, about storylines that depict female sexuality, female pleasure. And then there's this whole other area which I'm very interested in, which is audio porn. Things mm. like Dipsy and, you know, uh, there's a few other people that are doing that. Mm. And where there's a whole emphasis on storylines, characters. And I think that is one of the th ways maybe we could go around this kind of what is ethical and what is not. And also there are lots of porn actors who now have their own websites. I interviewed a South Asian porn star for my podcast uh, on series two of Masala podcast called Sahara Knight. And she, you know, has her own channel. So there, you know, it's going to the performers themselves. So that might be another way around it as well. Mm -hmm. So I think looking at who's providing ethical porn, looking at who's aligned with our value systems as well. So if we're feminists and if we're thinking that it's really important to show different types of bodies, that female pleasure is at, you know, at the centre of this for us, then going to people like Erica Lust and Anna Richards and Dipsy and places like that, where we know that that's happening. I love that you brought up audio porn, actually, because we had a feature on HuffPost about it. And um, it just turns out something that I hadn't really thought about before, but makes total sense, is that audio porn is making porn more accessible to a much bigger audience. So, for example, there was one guy who was interviewed as a case study in this piece, and he's blind. And he was talking about how, you know, disabled people are often desexualized, but having audio porn means that he can engage and he can enjoy it. And that's such a positive thing. And then there was also a girl who'd moved back in with her parents who said, like <laughs> hell, am I going to watch visual porn in my parents' house? Because can you imagine like them walking in? But listening to like a bit of, you know, horny audio in your headphones, it's like pretty, har <laughs> it's like pretty harmless. And Absolutely. so I'm all for that. Like it's been on my to-do list, actually. I need to check it out. Sorry, mum. Check it out. Listening. I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely loved it. When you mentioned that, I have a funny story. A friend of mine was um, at home during lockdown and she's got kids. So she said, oh, I'm going to go into my bedroom, turn on my laptop, have a little me time. Turns on the video. She's watching it and there's no sound. And so she's thinking, what's going oh on? So she's like, carries on watching it. Then there's a knock on the door and her son comes up and says, mum, there's a funny sound on the Bluetooth. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Uh, oh, I asked if I could mention it on the podcast and she said yes don't give my name and I'm like I won't give you a name that's so made me feel really that's happened like, Brogan's like flushed and fanning that's made me feel so uncomfortable I can see your skin's got a little bit flushed there Brogan <laughs> I knew as soon as you were like, the sound had gone, I was like, oh my God, who's using the headphones? Someone's using the headphones. I didn't even think about it. I was like, yeah, maybe it just didn't work. And then Bluetooth, mum. Oh <laughs> well, at least they were like young enough to not. Yeah, really I don't think understand. they quite understood what was happening. They just said there's a funny sound coming out of the, you know, the speaker. So, <laughs> Well, that kind of um, brings us on to another topic we wanted to talk about today because obviously during lockdown, 
people's porn habits are gonna have to change if you're someone who does consume it regularly and then you're suddenly with parents or your partner that's a whole issue and we were also talking about maybe you know even if you've been in a long-term relationship you might not necessarily realize what your partner gets up to when you're not at home but now you're at home together all the time do you think couples are gonna have to have that conversation at the moment Definitely, I think, because there is no escape. Mm-hmm. You're going to know everything that the other person gets up to. So I think this is a good opportunity to sort of talk about stuff you're into. Obviously, people are a little bit hesitant because they might be sharing things about themselves that maybe they don't feel so comfortable sharing with their partners. Um, but I think it's a great opportunity to share different aspects of you so they can get to know what your sexual repertoire might include. It might make things really exciting. Um but there's this other aspect, I think, where some for some people, their porn is a private thing. It's their kind of, their headspace where they go to. It's their kind of fantasy. If that's what it is for you, maybe talk to your partner and say, would you like to go for a walk for an hour? Have your social <laughs> distance walk. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm have having my, some uh, self-love in the Yeah, self-love sense. while yeah. you do your social distancing. <laughs> an hour um, feels like quite a while. I mean, I don't <laughs> just depends doesn't it <laughs> I could do an hour you know <laughs> um, so with each of our guests who come on to the podcast we ask the same question so as a way to end um Sangeeta what makes you uncomfortable Ooh, that's a very it's already made me uncomfortable I can feel like a bit hot under my <laughs> just Brogan's voice <laughs> what made you uncomfortable what makes me uncomfortable? Um, yes, things that I've kind of battled all my life, you know, people's kind of judgment, where if you, you know, as a South Asian woman, if if I say I watch porn, that's immediate like judgment. And then I've got to kind of fight my battle within myself to say, yeah, they might think that, but that doesn't make it abnormal for me to do this. So that those things make me uncomfortable because they're deeply wired, I think, in my psyche, in my upbringing. Mm. Um So that's my personal discomfort, if you will. There was one other thing I wanted to say about porn, actually. What porn has done within kind of heterosexual relationships is made sex fit into a little box. It's like this penis-centric view of sex that we've all now, you know, internalized as that being that being sex. Man, woman, penis into vagina, boom, 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 man has an orgasm and that's it. And everybody goes home. You have a sandwich, whatever, you know, finished, end of. But... Within a relationship or even within somebody you might be having casual sex with, sex is this whole, you know, wonderful feast of all of these things you could do with each other. Penetration is one part of it. And we seem to have lost the rest of it. It's like going into this buffet, like absolute feast of like 50,000 things you could eat, but you get stuck on the chicken because that's the only (laughs) thing that everybody's told you about, you know? So I think that's something that porn's done as well. And I think it would be good to keep it in mind when you're with your partner, your lover, you know, to say there's all of this wonderful stuff out there. Sangeeta, thank you so much for joining us. That was such a fun chat and I learned a lot. So wonderful, educational and fun. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. That's it from Am I Making You Uncomfortable this week. I'm Brogan Driscoll and you can find me at brogan underscore Driscoll. And I'm Rachel Moss, and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore. This podcast is produced by Crystal Genesis, and our sound engineer is Nag Karinde. 
you've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Hashtag A-I-M-Y-U. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.